Glad to see all of you here, some that I see regularly, some that I don't see as often, but uh, it's wonderful to have you all here. I have a question for you as we start on this part of, the, of our service. I want you to think for a minute, what is your favorite all-time Christmas gift? You don't have to call it out, but I want you to think about it. Kind of fix that in your mind. You got it? My, my favorite uh, Christmas gift is uh, actually a, a gift that I didn't know that I needed. David, would you mind throw me, throwing that to me? Um, my mother-in-law bought me, uh, more than 20 years ago, a gray um, cashmere wool sweater. And I didn't know that I needed it, but it's my favorite sweater. I've been wearing it a lot over the years. And uh, my wife, a few years ago, said, you know, the elbows are going on that thing. I think it's time you got rid of it. But I wasn't ready to, so I, I found somebody who actually sewed some patches on the elbow so that I could get a few more years out of it. I was actually thinking of wearing it tonight, but as we were going, going over choices, she said, you need to wear something more Christmassy. So I uh, decided I'd bring it along, but I, I wouldn't wear it. I'll come back to that in a minute. Here at North River this month, we've been working our way through a series of messages on the gifts of Christmas. So far, over the past few Sundays, we've talked about God's gifts of patience, his presence, peace, and joy. And tonight, we're going to talk about the greatest Christmas gift of all, which is Jesus. Now, all this centers on one verse from the Bible. It's a verse that many people may actually be familiar with even if you don't go to church, so don't worry, I'm not gonna unload something that's tremendously unfamiliar on you. Yet, it's, it's a verse from the Bible that we don't often think of as uh, part of the Christmas story because it's not part of the Christmas narrative about the birth of Jesus and Bethlehem and all of that, but it's actually one of those verses that helps us tie together all the pieces about what Christians classically believe about Jesus. It's found in the Gospel of John. It's John 3:16. This is the way it reads. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'd like to talk for a few minutes about why Jesus is the greatest gift of all. First, the first reason is that this gift is personal. So the verse starts off this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This past Sunday, there were two families who are close friends of mine who brought their newborn sons to church with them. And after the service, we were, we were standing over by this door over here. Johnny and Lindsay's little boy, Wakeman, is about one month old. And Pat and Shirley's little boy, Ronan, is two weeks old. It was amazing to watch them holding these little guys. And you forget just how small they, they really are when they let, let us bring them home. So here were Shirley and Lindsay standing side by side, beaming, and Johnny and Pat were holding their little boys more carefully than a Patriot running back holds a football when the playoffs are on the line. And it became very obvious to me that each of these families, even though these newcomers to their families are only weeks old, are absolutely in love with these little boys. And then the words of John 3.16 come crashing into my thinking. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We don't instantly and normally think about giving away our sons and daughters. We, we protect them. We want to keep them as long as we can. 
And yet, there are times when we do. Talk to a gold star parent who gave a son and then lost that son in battle. Those families gave. And they continue to give year after year. A Christmas cannot go by without thinking of, I wonder what it would be like. Or, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. I talked with one of those families here tonight just a little while ago, and they said, you got it absolutely right. There's not a Christmas that goes by that we don't miss him. And we discover that our God, the Creator God, is a giver. He gave us this world, this universe, this amazing planet. A few years ago, I read the works of a physicist who was describing 20 conditions that take place in this particular planet of ours that are all necessary for human life to exist. And then there's not another planet like it anywhere in the universe. Uh, among those things that have to happen, we, we have to be close enough to the sun where there's enough warmth for there to be human life, but we can't be far enough away where it becomes too cold. There have to be magnetic plates that create gravity, or we couldn't walk on this earth, we'd be floating away. And then there were 20 of these conditions. The mathematical probabilities for all of those conditions taking place are, are just extremely difficult to come up with. And despite all the searches that NASA and scientists and other folks have looked for to find some other source of life somewhere out there, they have yet to find a place that is like this that could sustain all the conditions necessary for human life that you and I enjoy every single day. Even the raw materials and tools that we use to make a living come from Him. I don't know if you remember the old story about the atheist who said, I don't believe in your God or anybody can create. And so the challenge comes up and says, great, create something. And the guy reaches down and starts to dig in the earth and God says, get your own dirt. <laughs> Everything comes from God. But his most personal, his most intensely personal gift is his son. This is personal for God. Christmas is very, very personal to him. Why is Jesus God's greatest gift? This gift cost him. Again, we go back to that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. This is gift-giving gift season for you and me. For some families, tonight you'll start opening uh, gifts, and for some it all starts tomorrow morning. Usually with our family, we, we gather with my in-laws and we, we break out the stockings on Christmas Eve and then the larger presents on Christmas morning. I think we're gonna shake that up a little bit this year. And you have your traditions too, and, and most likely either tonight or tomorrow or both, you're gonna be giving and receiving gifts. And I'm sure that you will do your best to express appropriate levels of appreciation for every gift, even if you get one of those gifts that you didn't know that you really need. Or maybe you still don't think that you need. And then there are some gifts that you receive that you instantly know have been given before. We have a name for this. We call this re-gifting. Re oh, you've, you've had that happen too. These are gifts that someone gave 
and now they want to pass along to somebody else. They have a life of their own. Sometimes they show up at the office Christmas party and you realize that somebody gets stuck with this last year and held on to it a whole year thinking next year I'm going to give it away to somebody else. And you instantly know that this one didn't cost the giver anything. Seldom is so much indicated in such a short phrase as this one. God gave his one and only son. And as he did so, God knew that he would endure the pain of a gold star parent. The same Jesus who rested in Bethlehem's most famous manger would three decades later give his life to win God's cosmic war against sin and evil, pain and suffering and death. Perhaps along with asking, Mary, did you know, we ought to be asking in our songs, Father, did you know? Of course, the answer is yes. He did know all along, even before he sent his world, his, his son into the world for our sake. Not only is this gift personal, and not only did this gift cost him, but this gift is beyond para- comparison. Again, the opening part of the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Christians through the ages have wrestled with the meaning and identity of this gift and the meaning and identity of Jesus. The first council of Nicaea, which met in 325 AD, where all the bishops of the world came together and all the theologians of the world, and they boiled down some of what they thought about Jesus based on the New Testament, based on the writings of the early church fathers this way. Of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. In other words, they were saying that Jesus isn't just a little bit like God. He didn't just have some God dust sprinkled on him. He was very God. He was light of light. He was God of God. He was the essence of God. The Apostle Paul had written nearly 300 years before that time in his letter to the Colossian church, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now think about that. God the Creator does not take on human form. He is not limited in the ways we are by human form. God is spirit. But the miracle and the mystery of Christmas is that God sent his son who shares that same core essence of who God the Father is. And he took on human flesh, making the invisible God visible to us in a way like never before. In the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews adds this thought. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. And later on, that same letter includes these thoughts, that He is appointed heir of all things and the one through whom God made the universe. Try and get your mind around this thought that as Mary and Joseph are staring at this little child in the manger, as tiny as Shirley and Pat's little two-week-old Ronan, all the complexity of who God is exists in that child, and this child is the same one through whom God created the universe. Wow. I'm still trying to grapple with all of that. But here's what I know. Because there is no one who compares with Jesus, there is no other gift that compares with the gift of Jesus. 
In other words, God gave the very best there ever was to give on that first Christmas Eve. And this gift is a long-term gift. If we tease that verse out all the way to the end, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall never perish, but will have eternal life, everlasting life in the older translations. We have this long history of short-term fads that were all the rage at one Christmas or another. Anybody remember the Easy Bake Oven? My wife had one of those, and she still tells me about the stuff that she made in that Easy Bake Oven. In the late 1990s, uh, there were new, fa- uh, new fads that came along, the Cabbage Patch Doll, and then Beanie Babies. My little girls had Beanie Babies everywhere. And one Christmas, people were virtually assaulting other shoppies over something called the Furby. I never did figure out what a Furby was. Anybody have one, a Furby? Anybody beat somebody up to get one? <laughs> and then just a few years ago, there were these, these Razor scooters, and suddenly they were everywhere. And it was hard to go down the sidewalk without nearly getting run over by somebody with a Razor scooter. I had a friend whose child had one and, and the scooter was everywhere and then somewhere a month or a month and a half after Christmas, the thing broke and they tossed it. And that's the trouble with some of the short-term fads that are such must-have Christmas gifts. John 3.16 introduces us to the only gift that has eternal implications. It says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. To not perish means that you won't die with the weight of your own sinfulness on your shoulders and that you won't waste the opportunity for a full and meaningful, purposeful life here in this world. Instead, the person who trusts in Jesus will gain a new kind of life, an eternal life that starts now, that connects us with God in such a way that it actually transitions with us into the next life, whatever that's like. When the part of you that makes you uniquely you gets a new body that's like the body of Jesus that's been resurrected and no longer subject to death and decay and age and all the stuff that we hate. Because you were designed, whether you know it or not, to live forever with God. That is part of the purpose of every human being. This is life in the splendor of heaven. And in that time when God finally remakes the earth in all of its original splendor and the gap between heaven and earth close and heaven comes down, that's the final picture of the Bible, of God dwelling in the midst of a renewed, splendorific world with his people forever. And all of this is the gift of God that can only be taken hold of through an act of faith question for you. I have no doubt that most of us, maybe even all of us, have at one point or another noticed a John 3.16 sign. Maybe it was under the goalpost on a football game you're watching on the television. Or maybe you saw Tim Tebow years ago when he used to wear the eye patch and on one side it would say uh, John and then 3.16 under it. It blew up the internet that particular day he did that on national television. People wanted to know, what's John 3.16? What does it mean? And now you know. But have you taken hold of this gift from God 
Or is this the one that every year you leave sitting under the tree unwrapped and unopened? So here's the main idea that I want to get across tonight. Jesus is the one gift that will never wear out, that will never grow old, and that will keep changing your life for the better forever. That's who Jesus is. One final thought. Jesus is the gift we all need. Remember I told you about getting that sweater that I didn't realize was a sweater that I didn't know that I needed and I came to love? So the verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And there are many people in this world that don't realize that they actually need the one gift that God gives at Christmas, the gift that he longs to give to everyone, and and that's Jesus. And that's why some people push him away. Why did God need to give his son in this way? Well, the, the Christmas birth of Jesus teaches us that only Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. And so part of the reason that we all stop and wonder and are filled with awe and, and we think about Jesus at this time is because the Son of God who shared the essence of God, the makeup of God, came and even though he had preexisted for eternity, he limited himself by becoming one of us and taking on a human body, being born as one of those tiny, tiny little ones. And in doing so, we discover that Jesus is uniquely positioned to represent God to us because he came from God and he shares the divine essence of God. Like nobody else, he can tell us who God is and what God wants and how we connect with God. But then by coming as a little child and becoming one of us and taking on human life, it also means that he's one of us and he's uniquely positioned to represent us to God. You put all that together and it makes sense of what happened 30 years later when he went to the cross that he was able to take our sins representing us to God. Prior to that time, the religions of the world required people to offer sacrifices weekly, yearly, over and over for their sins. But when Jesus went to the cross, he was the final sacrifice, the complete sacrifice. And once for all time, the scripture says, Christ died for the ungodly. That was me before Christ was active in my life. This was the only way that God could wipe away our sins and forgive the guilty and yet remain a just God. Because somebody who could take the full penalty did that for us. Not only was Jesus' sacrifice enough, but by his resurrection on the third day, he demonstrated his power over sin and death forever. And he broke it. There was a pastor who went to his barber to get a haircut one day. And all through the haircut, his barber kept talking nonstop. The pastor had actually hoped that their conversation would turn towards spiritual things at some point, but the barber just never gave him an inch, and, and he never gave him a moment to interrupt or to change the topic. So as the pastor was paying for his haircut, he asked the, the barber if he believed in God. He said, yeah, I do. And then he asked the barber if he thought he was a good man, and the man answered, I am. 
So the pastor asked him if he thought that he would spend eternity with God at the end of his life. And the barber said he thought he would because he was a good man. The pastor kind of nodded. And, and then he told the barber, he said, you know, I've been noticing that you need a haircut too. And the barber was a little embarrassed and he said, well, yeah, I've been so busy I haven't had time to get one. So the, the pastor offered to give him a haircut. <laughs> he said, don't worry, just sit down and relax for a few minutes and I'll cut your hair for you. But the barber objected. He said, you can't cut my hair because you haven't been trained to do it. And the pastor assured him that he would truly do his very best to get it right and to do it right. And the barber simply laughed at him and said, your best simply isn't good enough to get it right. The pastor let that comment hang in the air for a minute. And then he said, you're right. And simply trying to be good enough to be the best you can be will never get you to heaven or any of us. This Christmas, I'd like to give you an invitation. And the invitation is to take hold of God's greatest gift, Jesus, through a step of faith. That's all it takes is a step. It's a step that you have to initiate on your own behalf. I'm gonna ask you to just quiet down for a minute. If you will, close your eyes. You don't have to pray, but think for a minute. What step do you need to take to get closer to God? Maybe you're willing to whisper some of these words that I'm gonna suggest to you. Dear God, thank you for sending the Christmas gift I needed most, Jesus. Dear God, forgive me for my sins and for however my best falls short. Right now, I'm putting my faith in Jesus as the Savior you appointed. Allow me to experience this thing you called eternal life. I want to know the richness of life as you intended by knowing you. And help me to learn more day by day as I listen and follow. In Jesus' name. And Father God, I ask that you would allow your blessing to fall on all the families that are represented here. We come here to acknowledge Jesus, to worship him, and in some ways to respond to him. But thank you for doing something that is so awesome that we are still trying to get our arms and our minds around the miracle of Christmas. So thank you for the wonder, for the songs, for the joy, for the laughter, for the gifts, and for the way that you touch each of us and our families. And may the Spirit of Christ go with each of us this year into Christmas. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Savior, born on Christmas Day, that we pray to you. Amen. Merry Christmas, friends. I am so glad we're together here tonight.